Stand with me as we read together Ruth chapter 4. I'll read the entire chapter, verses 1 through 22. So hear now God's word, for God does indeed speak to us through his holy word. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who came back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of these, those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Mahlon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were with, who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah. And may he and be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word. We ask that you would show us Jesus. Even in the, the, the pages of this story, we thank you that you are our Redeemer and our Savior. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Perhaps if this story, this glorious story in God's Word were made into a movie, I think it would probably fall into the category of a romantic comedy. And I don't mean a a comedy in the ha-ha slapstick sense, but more the ancient Greek sense, a comedy as opposed to a tragedy, a comedy that has all sorts of tension but ends with something good rather than a tragedy which ends in something tragic. Uh, Because consider all the bumps and turns and twists that this story has taken. A young woman leaves with her husband and her two sons and goes to a far-off land because they're looking for food. And in that far-off land, the husband dies. And yet then the, the sons, they take wives for themselves. They find love and they fill their homes with women and they have the hope of children. And yet then the sons die. Now the widow is left with two widowed daughters-in-law, and uh, she decides to come back to her own country, and she attempts to send these young ladies back, and yet one of them clings to her with this love, this affection that uh, surpasses logic. Um, And this young Ruth comes back with the much older Naomi, emptied now of their pride and coming back to the land of Israel. And then there just so happens to be this situation where the young Ruth stumbles upon and this older man, Boaz, in his field, and he shows her immense kindness and grace and provision and generosity. And, uh, and it just so happens that Naomi remembers that this man, Boaz, is a potential redeemer, one who could be a potential suitor for this young Ruth. And so Naomi, the mother-in-law, the meddling mother-in-law begins to concoct this plan and sends her young daughter off into the, the night to propose to this man. And this man is overtaken by her kindness and generosity and he reciprocates. And yet there is this tension, this, uh, um, this unresolved issue because there is a, another, another man, another suitor who has first rights of refusal over Ruth and uh, Elimelech's property. And so at the end of chapter 3, there is this, this tension, this, you know, the, the future of their relationship, the future of the marriage, the future of the potential for children hangs in the balance. And yet Naomi says, stand by, hold up. This man will resolve this issue before the day is up. And where chapter 4 begins, Boaz Heads, it says, heads, he go, had gone up to the gate and had sat down. And what we need to understand is that um, he, since he was at the winnowing floor, you know, the, the threshing floor, which was away from the city, all the entrance and exits from the city would, would go through the gate. And the gate was not um, what we might see in the movies, like a castle with a gate and a drawbridge and all this other stuff. It was an ancient Canaanite gate, um, served multiple purposes. It was... Um, a marketplace. It was a the civic center of the city. It, its design was such that you had the wall um, and you had a passage through the wall, which was like a hallway. And on the outside of the wall, there was an the open area. And then um, through the wall, there were uh, smaller rooms or alcoves on the either side of the uh, of the hallway. And on the inside of the wall, there was another open area uh, lined with benches. And the the members of the city would come to this place to conduct business transactions. Uh, Prophets would prophesy to kings and commoners in these particular areas. And it could also serve as um, a a courthouse for 
justice or legal transactions. And uh, as it says, uh, you know, Boaz uh, had gone up to the gate. Of course, he had gone up to the gate because he was coming back to the city. He would have had to have passed through the gate, but he was coming to the gate for two purposes. First was he was looking for the Redeemer, this other man. And the best place to find him would be at the gate, since everyone would have to pass through the gate to go to the fields. But second, and what we see ends up being the case, is that he needs to um, conduct a legal transaction. He has to resolve this issue, uh, this redeemer business, as it kind of says in in, in chapter 3. And so he goes into the gate, and and it says he sat down there. That would have been a signal to the people, the passers-by, that he was ready to conduct business. And wouldn't you know it, just so happens, it says, and behold, the Redeemer, whom Boaz had spoken, came by. Once again, we see this language of it just so happened, which was signaling signaling to us God's providence is at work. The, The Redeemer just so happens to pass by the gate at this particular time. And Boaz, sitting there, says, friend, come sit down. Now, uh, remember, we've talked about this throughout this study in Ruth. Names throughout the Old Testament, and particularly in this book of Ruth, are very important. Remember that in chapter 1, we learned of Elimelech, whose name means, my God is king. And yet there was a bit of irony, because Elimelech showed anything other than God was his king. He uh, did things his own way. Uh, The woman Naomi, her name means pleasant, and yet she had a very bitter time in Moab, and so she insisted that her name be called Mara when she returned to Israel. And it's striking how Boaz calls this man. Uh, Our text says that he simply says, hey, friend, uh, come sit down here. But the Hebrew... uh, Scholars have wrestled with this, and their best translation is, he's referred to as Mr. So-and-so. Mr. So-and-so, he's a nameless man. This is, this is a, a pivotal man in this, in this story at this particular time, and in this story that cares so much about names, he's nameless, which signals to us that there's something afoot here. So he, he calls to Mr. So-and-so, says sit down, and he turns and he sits down, and then Boaz begins to collect elders as they walk through. He's sitting there. One elder walks by. He says, hey, can you sit down here? And he gathers these men. And it says, it says he took ten men. Ten men. So what he's doing is he's gathering a quorum for this legal transaction. Ten was another one of those numbers that was important in their mind. Uh, maybe the smallest quorum or complete set of people um, for this transaction. He brings them. And he sits them down, and then he begins his, Boaz begins speaking. And notice he speaks to the Redeemer. He doesn't speak to the elders there. This is, a, this is a part of a legal transaction that would probably fall under the category of family law. It's not like they're judging anything. They're simply witnesses of this transaction. And remember, he had gone to the gate to settle the matter about Ruth and to resolve this issue, and yet he speaks to the Redeemer, and he doesn't say anything about Ruth. He essentially says, uh, Naomi's selling a piece, of, a piece of land that belonged to Elimelech. Uh, I wanted you to know about it, 
because if you want to buy it, it's yours, because if you don't, then I'm going to buy it. And we're thinking, what, what's he doing? What, what about Ruth? There's nothing about Ruth. And the Redeemer says, okay, I, um, piece of land, I, he, it's an easy, that's an easy decision. Yes, I will redeem it. I will redeem it. And we know that there's a plus one to this land, that the Redeemer, by buying this land, is going to get Ruth. And our response was probably like what Ruth's response. If she had been sitting there with these 12 men, hearing this go on, hear this man say, yeah, I'll redeem it, you would envision that her head would drop, her hands would go on her head saying, no. And yet Boaz isn't done. Boaz isn't done. And he says, oh, uh, one other thing. Uh, I almost forgot. I almost forgot. Uh, the, the day that you, he says, the day that you uh, buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. It's not a good sell job. He goes from the easy decision to, no, oh, now I'm going to throw on the bad news after it's done. And, but, I mean, should it have really have affected things too much? Because if you remember what Boaz said in chapter 3, he said, all the gate knows that you are the Proverbs 31 worthy woman. Everyone knows. Everyone knows who Ruth is. And he's saying, and so Boaz is saying, well, oh, by the way, you also get Ruth. But notice what he says, how he calls her. He says, he doesn't say this worthy woman. He says, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead. And perhaps by calling her the Moabite, he's, Boaz is thinking he knows the character of this man. Maybe he's um, appealing to some anti-Moabite um, I don't know, uh, lack of trust. Uh, he, he, he knows that this man won't want foreign blood coursing through the blame, veins of his children. Uh, maybe some of that is there. Maybe he's, he's reminding this man that, oh, this, this woman's a Moabite. Uh, but the second part is definitely a play, at play. He's saying that it's the, the widow of the dead in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Because um, he, he just increased the cost of purchasing this land. Um, initially, when it w all was was just the land, uh, the Redeemer's thinking, okay, I get this land, and all I have to do is I have to take care of Naomi. Naomi's an older woman. She's not going to have any more kids. When she dies, this land is mine, and I get to pass it on to my sons or daughters, anyone that comes after me. But now, but now, not only do I have to take care of Naomi, now I get this younger woman who is of childbearing age. I've got to care for two mouths plus potential third child. That child is not really going to be mine. And when that child comes to age, the land goes back to his possession to perpetuate this inheritance. So I only get it for a shorter period of time. It just doesn't it just doesn't make any sense. And he does the math, and he thinks about all these different things, and he makes the logical decision. He says, and the Redeemer says, I cannot redeem it, 
for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. In, in essence, what he says is, I can't afford it. It's, it's just not, uh, it's not worth it for me. It's yours. It's yours. And as he draws off his sandal to hand it to Boaz, you can imagine in the background the soundtrack rising with this dramatic crescendo because you see Boaz fist-bumping, saying, yes, I got Ruth. I have done it. Now, notice, notice that the text doesn't, um, it doesn't condemn this man, this redeemer, uh, maybe subtly because he's not even named. Maybe he, uh, just the, the fact that he doesn't have a name, he, that... Uh, you know, that, that, that is a condemnation enough. But just like Orpah in chapter 1, who was faced with this side-by-side decision with the young Ruth, and Orpah makes the logical decision to go back to Moab and to start a family there with her people. Here, this man is making a logical and practical decision, thinking through it. And it's really just to side-by-side compare this man with Boaz. Because it was a costly um, decision. It was going to uh, come at a great cost. And yet Boaz understands the cost. And for him, the cost is worth it because he is getting Ruth. He is concerned about Ruth. And beloved, what you can't miss is that this, you can't miss seeing the love of God peeking through the love of Boaz for Ruth. Because we know that our salvation, that we were bought at a tremendous price. We were, we were purchased by the blood of our Heavenly Father's only son. He gave up his only son for us. The Lord Jesus knew what he was coming to do. He willingly laid down his life for you and me. He paid the ultimate price out of love for us. Um, In Matthew chapter 13, uh, Jesus tells this parable about a man who sees a treasure in a field. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field which a man discovered, and then he sells all that he could to buy that field. And often I think we, we look at that and I think rightfully say, well, that, you know, saying that the, the kingdom of heaven is worth all that we could sell all the, and to acquire it. But I think there may be something else there too, is that our God sees us as the treasure that he was willing to sell all to purchase. Even regardless of how you may feel about what God thinks about you, scripture is abundantly clear that he was willing to pay the, the highest price to purchase you for his very own. He counted the cost and he was willing to pay it. We, we ought to see, we, we can't miss the immensity and the intensity of the love of God in Jesus Christ. That love that is directed towards you, beloved. Um. Ruth, or I'm sorry, Boaz, turns to the men standing there and he says, you are witnesses this day 
that I have bought from the hand of Naomi, all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Mahlon. But then he turns and he talks about his true prize. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers. And the gate of his native place, your witnesses to this day. And notice what he calls Ruth here. He says, I have bought her to be my wife. And think about the progression of this, this Ruth. She was the Moabite, the foreigner in chapter 1. In chapter 2, she was the, the lowest of all servants, not even worthy to be considered your servant. In chapter 3, she was your maidservant. And now she is my wife. My wife. And beloved, that, that's the beauty of the gospel. We who were far off, strangers and aliens to the covenant of promise, God has brought near by the blood of Christ Jesus so that he could not bring us near to discipline us, but to bring us near to look full in our face and say, I have loved you with an eternal love. You are mine forever and ever. I love you. Not out of duty or obligation, but out of passionate and eternal love. And then the, the men who are standing there seem to break out in this chorus of blessing. He says, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like that of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah, because all of the offspring the Lord will give you in this young woman. So they bless Ruth, they bless Boaz. You know, may you have lots of kids like Rachel and Leah. May you be prominent and renowned like Perez, who Perez had somehow become a prominent tribe in Judah and uh, in this particular area in Bethlehem. He was considered a prominent uh, patriarch of some sort. And so they're saying, be renowned, be blessed, be fruitful. Uh, and yet there's a hint of something more. Not just the physical blessings, but also Rachel and Leah were, those were mothers, founding, founding mothers of the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. And Perez is a prominent patriarch of Bethlehem. They are looking ahead saying, may you be renowned. May, is, is there something more that's, that's yet to come? Is there something greater than simple uh, temporal blessings? Is there something greater? Um, and so after all this painstaking suspense over the course of the book, Boaz finally has Ruth, and then it's consummated in, with such stunning brevity uh, right there in verse 13. Nine months collapsed into a simple statement. So Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore him a son, which seems out of sorts with the rest of the story, and just the, the pace and the flow, and yet it's to the point. And, uh, and remember, this, this story has been a story of God's providence, of God's hidden hand working out all his purposes in accordance to his will. And he's, he's always been at work in this whole story, and yet there's two times in the story where the Lord is given direct, uh, he's attributed directly with something. The first is in chapter 1, when they were in Moab, where they had heard that the Lord had visited his people and had given them bread. And here's the second time. And the Lord 
gave her conception, and she bore a son. He had filled their bellies with food, and now he is filling her womb with a son. So then we, we leave the marital bliss of Boaz and Ruth, and we head home to Naomi's house in the second scene of this particular story. And there, like at the gate the, where the men were singing this chorus, there are women uh, surrounding Naomi, and they are blessing her, or blessing the Lord, saying, because he has provided for her. And the women said, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. They bless Naomi because she has a redeemer. And yet the question is the same question that we've been asking for since chapter 3. Who is the redeemer? Who is the redeemer? That was the question in chapter 3. Boaz is a redeemer. And maybe Boaz will be our redeemer. And Ruth pursued Boaz. But yeah, there's another redeemer. But we had the, the, the situation at the gate which should have resolved this issue of who the redeemer was. It was Boaz, wasn't it? But the Redeemer that they're talking about is not Boaz. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more than seven sons, has given birth to him. It's the child. The child is the Redeemer of Naomi, not Boaz. Obviously, this is a different kind of redeemer than the kinsman redeemer that Boaz was, the one who would give um, uh, children, would, would you know, make the, restore the name of, of the dead. This child is the redeemer in a unique way. And they say, well, how? Uh, he will be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. And so... Picture the tender image of this gray-haired old woman taking this tiny infant and laying him on her, it says, says her lap, or another text says uh, her breast. Just the love of this, this woman for this son, for this child. It says she became his, his nurse, and, and um, but it's this child has kept the name of the, the living alive. He has, may his name be renowned in Israel. So she is, this child is a restorer of life and a nourisher. There is, there is joy for this woman who was, had, ho- had no hope. Her sons were dead. Her husband was dead. She was of old age. And now the Lord has provided this child, and yet he's keeping the name of Elimelech alive, which is a really big deal in their age. Um, uh, to, to die without an heir was tantamount to being wiped out from the face of the earth. And yet now Elimelech, her husband, has this son, this, this, this child. Notice uh, how the women call Ruth. Again, names are important. It says, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more than seven sons, has given birth to him. Was, was Ruth Naomi's daughter-in-law at this point? Ruth was the wife of Naomi's dead son. 
And that in-law relationship had been broken. Ruth is now married to another man, Boaz. The, the bonds of the law had broken, and yet the bonds of love, that chesed, that covenantal love, were strong, that surpassed even the bonds of the law. And, and they say that she, she is more to you than seven sons, more to you than seven sons. We can't, we can't underestimate how high praise that was because in their culture, a son was more valuable than a daughter. But they say that Ruth is worth more than seven sons, a perfect complement of sons. She is greater than that. But, but why? But why? It's centered around this boy, this, this child, this daughter-in-law who loves you. And what seems to be the case is that Ruth, out of love for Naomi, has given up her son, in a sense, to Naomi to care for him. Because there's this confusing thing. Who, who does the child belong to? The, the women are saying, a son has been born to Naomi. And it says that Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse or uh, foster mother or nanny is probably more likely. Likely, Ruth has given this child to Naomi even though there's no legal obligation to do so. Out of sheer love for Naomi has given her son and said, you care for him, you raise him, you treat him as your own son. He is, he is yours. And this would happen in their day and age where someone would hand over their son on to care for on behalf of the parents, even though they might still be living. This is a gift, a, a gift from Ruth who loves you, the women say. She does this out of sheer love and affection for this woman. And uh, the women call him, the women name him Obed. Obed is, uh, the, the name Obed means servant. This young infant would serve Naomi by being a nourisher of life, a restorer of life, a nourisher in her old age. And this is profound and deep love. This woman who had been empty is now full of life because of this child. She now has hope for the future. But then there's a, this twist. Like, you know, we've been tracking along this whole story, this love story between, you know, Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and Ruth, and then there's this twist. Out of nowhere, the author says, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So what had been this glorious love story between Boaz and Ruth this love story between Naomi and Ruth, this love story between God and his people, now becomes this origin story for one of the two most prominent human characters in all of the Old Testament. Even King David came out of this detail of the love of God and the love of these individuals. And they, they punctuate it with this kingly genealogy, this, this genealogy that traverses... And genealogies are hard for us, but there, there's, there's an intentionality here where he starts with Perez, who is a prominent patriarch in the, in the tribe of Judah. 
through Nashon, who was the prince of the, the Judah tribe while they were wandering in the wilderness, to, uh, through Boaz, this worthy man, this uh, respectable man in Bethlehem, through this child Obed, all the way down to King David. So the words of the, the, the women the, in Naomi, Naomi's house, the words of the men at the gate, those become prophetic truth that this child will be renowned in Israel. That he will be great. He will be a, the, the, Ruth and Boaz become a founding couple to bring about this kingly dynasty that will come about. So, beloved, with that twist, with the, thinking about the whole story, we can, I hope you can see the majestic literary artistry at work. Not, not just of this story, which is amazing, but by the, but by the pen of providence, the pen of God's providence. This is a story that is filled with disobedience, with heartache, with fear, with love, suspense, innuendo, joy, and restoration. And beloved, I hope you see those same literary features in your life as God has written your story. Those things propel your life forward in the day-to-day moments, in the big moments. Of course, the big difference between our story and this story is that our story hasn't reached its final conclusion. We can't look back and see everything. It's definitely not the things that haven't happened yet like we can here, but we can have confidence. We can have hope. We can see God is working out all his glorious Deeds and it should cause us to marvel at the intricate detail that God goes about to bring about His His story. There's incredible care. I mean, we look at Boaz and Ruth and Naomi and Elimelech and these the two sons and all the interact all the interactions and all the the things with the famine and the 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 gleaning and all those details. And that's not even the main point of the story. That's not the main point of the story. He was working in that restoration and that redemption in Naomi's life and in Ruth's life, calling Ruth to himself, filling her with um, a family. And yet the key point that was at play was God was bringing a king for for his people. He was bringing a king to lead his people in a time when there was no king. And everyone did as they saw fit. And for us who are on this side of the New Testament, we know that it wasn't even really about David either. It was ultimately about the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, even our Savior Jesus Christ. Because if we look at the beginning of the book of Matthew, we see yet another genealogy that runs through Perez and Nashon and Boaz and David, all the way to the son of David, Jesus Christ. But think about the path. Think about the path that the Lord brings us about. If there had been no famine, they wouldn't have gone to Moab. If there hadn't been Moab, then they wouldn't have 
gotten Ruth. If there's no Ruth, there's no Boaz, there's no Boaz, there's no Obed, no Obed, no David, no David, no son of David, Jesus Christ. The Lord has worked through the details to bring about his glorious purposes. And while they praise this baby or Boaz is praised as the, as the Redeemer, this is all about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only Redeemer for God's people. The only Redeemer. He's not simply a restorer of old life and a nourisher in our, to, 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 to give us hope in the midst of the, the here and now. He is, he is the one who is the life, the way, the truth, and the life. He is eternal life. Knowing him is knowing eternal life. Obed was the servant, maybe for Naomi, but the Lord Jesus Christ is the true servant. The true servant who laid down his life as service for you and for me to redeem us. I've got some musical background in my life and obviously some of my kids have some musical background and if you haven't ever um, had kids or participated in a band or an orchestra or anything like that, um, what you see from a band or an orchestra, the finished product, there's a lot of work that goes into that. Um, And being, I, I played an instrument growing up and it was always remarkable to me as we would work together as a as a band, how the band director would sit there and he would be able to hear the, like the the parts that needed work. And you know, someday Caleb will explain this to me because he's studying these things. But he would we would play together as a band, and then all of a sudden he would say, "Okay, you know, flutes, like go back to measure twenty three and let's let's do these these two measures together. Let's work on that part." Or okay, um, percussion, like go back two pages, like this part right here is kind of tricky. Let's practice it together. And um, he would work on the individual pieces as he's putting together this divine, or he's putting together this, this, this musical piece that gets performed in front of the parents and is beautiful. And beloved, this is the, this is the mind-blowing reality of God's providence is that God is intricately focused on the minute details of your life. He knows you. He loves you. He is working reconciliation, restoration, redemption in your life personally. But it is part of the grand symphony of his grace in his son, Jesus Christ. There is a a grand plan that he has in mind. The purposes of his will are beyond understanding. He's, he's writing our stories individually even as he's unfolding the, the full purposes of his plan. And as you consider your life, understand that there are no accidents, there's no happenstance. You know, whatever the circumstances were that brought you to worship at Zion Presbyterian Church this morning, know that whether you got caught by a train on the way and you were late or, you know, whatever, whatever happened that brought you here, know that your God brought you here to hear his voice speaking to you and to hear him offering his son to you and saying, I have given him to you to be your redeemer. I have loved you. And he says that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. He says, do not, if you hear his voice, 
don't harden your heart, but receive his, his love because it truly is for you. But understand that your story is part of the, the grandness of his great story. It's, it's remarkable that the women say, somewhat confusing to us, that the women would say to Naomi, a son has been born to Naomi. Because the son was born to Ruth. But a couple, many years later, even after King David was born, the prophet Isaiah said, unto us a child is given. Unto us a son is born. Ruth, out of love for Naomi, gave up her son for Naomi. And God so loved the world, he loved you and me, beloved, that he gave up his son for you and for me, not so that he would be a restorer of old life or a nourisher of old age, but so that he would, be, he would give us new life, eternal life in his name, eternal life full of blessings and joy forever and ever, not out of obligation, not out of law or duty, but because of his good pleasure, his affectionate love for you, which has been eternal and will be eternal. Pleasures and blessings forevermore, beloved. That's for you in Jesus Christ. Grab hold of him because he is yours. Let's pray together.